And of course, leeches are mixed up in that thing, too. So are you going to do trepanning on me? The king was dead four days later. It's called the Babylonian skull cure. They were actually used much more invasively than I ever realized. Who came up with farts in a jar? And this actually relates to the wandering womb. There was one which the Pope loved. So did Thomas Edison. You could actually buy cocaine in the Sears Roebuck catalog. Well, here we are again, John. Time for another episode of Smart Drivel. Well, thank you, Kurt. It's good to be here. That is Kurt Schneider. I'm John Ellenthal. And you probably detected from Kurt's opening that it did not quite have the enormity that we're used to. And that's because Kurt is not feeling his best today, which we're sorry to hear. and hope he feels better soon. Thank you, John. Give him a little bit of a break today, but we think we can get him going here with this episode. In fact, because Kurt is not feeling well, we're going to make Kurt feel better by making him happy that he is not being treated by doctors of hundreds of years ago, because those doctors did some crazy ass things, at least by today's standard. So we are going to talk about crazy medical practices in history. How's that sound, Kurt? I'm ready for it and ready to be entertained and astonished and hopefully cured. I think this will have strong curative properties. Now, you might remember that episode 74, which I think was called Blowing Smoke, is a good entrance point to this discussion. And that is is because when there was a drowning victim back in the 1700s, they would essentially blow smoke up the victim's ass, believing that the smoke would warm the cold body and the nicotine would start the heart. Now, as you might not be surprised to learn, that practice is no longer being used on account of the fact that it didn't work. But it is another example, Kurt, of how all of the smart drivel episodes fit together in a complex, sophisticated lattice. So do you think the consistency is the smart or the drivel? I think it's drivel, John. It is more likely drivel, but dare to dream, Kurt. Blowing smoke up your ass reminds me that I saw an ad recently for, it was an old ad, obviously, for smoking. And the whole ad was that smoking would cure asthma. (laughs) That is one, right? That's one of the most ironic things in the world. Do you remember from the King's speech where he was encouraged to smoke by his doctors to deal with his speech impediment? Well, so there was, it was cure asthma, hay fever, bad breath, bronchial irritations. Makes no sense. By the way, in the King's speech, you know what he didn't have, but I found this. He did not have a hemigosectomy. You wouldn't want a hemi. Or a semi-glossectomy, you'd want the full thing, right? So, well, not when I tell you what it is. It doesn't have something to do with a body part that in males comes in twos? Yes. Okay. I could see why you wouldn't want to have even one. You cut off part of your tongue. Men don't have two tongues, Kurt. My question was, Oh, oh. was it a part of the body that in men comes in twos? Do you have two tongues, Kurt? I thought you meant to cut something in half. No, but the idea is sometimes men are actually accused of having two tongues, forked tongues and saying two different things throughout history. But no, hemigosectomy used to be a cure-all for stuttering and you'd cut off part of the tongue. They thought that would cure stuttering. 
Yeah, well, that probably does cure it because you can't speak anymore. <laughs> exactly. You didn't stutter at all when you were doing that, Kurt. It works. Or maybe I did. Do you remember in a recent episode, I think it was the one that we talked about failed hangover cures? Yes. Didn't we talk about King Charles II? He was the one that restored the monarchy after Cromwell? Yeah, and he's the one that had ground up human skull powder to drink. Yeah, that was also part of the treatment his doctors used when he fell ill in February of 1685. So I have to read to you what his doctors did for him to treat his illness, or should I say what his doctors did to basically kill him. So (laughs) I'm ready. It's February 2nd. 1685. Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day. And Puck Phil, or Pete, I always get it wrong. Is it Pete or Phil? It's Phil, and he became, obviously, the new king for six more weeks. That was it. That's right. So Charles isn't feeling, Charles II isn't feeling so good. It's February 2nd, 1685. I'll give you the date because he will be dead four days later with the help of his doctors. So he wakes up feeling sick. So the royal barbers do what you think royal barbers do, which is they took a pint of blood. And then the elite doctors took another eight ounces of blood. He was then made to swallow antimony, which is a toxic metal. And he was then given a series of enemas. But wait, there's more, Kurt. His head was shaved and blistering agents were applied to his scalp. That was basically to drive the bad humors away out of his brain. Pigeon droppings were applied to the sole of his feet. And of course, more blood was drawn. He was then given white sugar candy to buoy his spirits. And he was prodded with a red hot poker. And then, much like his failed hangover remedy, he was given 40 drops of ooze from the skull of a man that was recently executed. Finally, when that didn't kill him, crushed stones from the insides of a goat were forced down his throat. The king was dead four days later. Oh, my Lord. They just tried everything. That is the old throw everything at the fan and see what sticks. Well, I think the fascinating thing, other than the fact that it seems perverse and ridiculous and dangerous by today's standards, is you have to think that the king had the best doctors in the land, right? With the most advanced knowledge and experience. So this team of doctors is going through these protocols, trying to save the king's life. And you think these are their best ideas, Kurt. But you'd think they might give it some time to see if one worked. Did they give it three minutes and say, okay, we got to move on, move on, move on to the next? Well, they didn't do it all at once. They did this over the course of several days. So apparently it was quite common back in those days, believe it or not, that you would either through a chemical agent or heat is you would cause massive blistering Uh on the head and elsewhere. And that was supposed to be a release point for whatever ill humors were there, much like bloodletting. That's when they would call you hot-headed for sure. So here's the good news for you. I'm sorry you're not feeling well. However, we are not going to shave your head. We're not going to put a burning agent on. We are not going to, I guess, let your blood and make you swallow horrible things. So are you going to do trepanning on me? I would do trepanning on you, but I don't have the proper tools. Trepanning is the oldest found surgery ever. This dates back seven, 8,000 years. It is, and we all know it because we've all seen pictures, drilling a hole into <laughs> someone's head. 
And throughout the ages, it's been known for getting rid of evil spirits. You know, by the way, they still do a form of it today. And that's when you have a hematoma in your brain to allow something to escape. Well, but to relieve pressure. Yeah. Yeah. But it used to be to relieve bad spirits coming out or something thereof. And a lot of people actually, they found skeletons, John, where people have survived this because they've seen them heal up and go on to live. Yes, sir. Can you just drill a hole in my head? Oh, thank you. Feel a lot better. Well, I mean, how far away is that from lobotomies, which was a 20th century thing, right? So explain how it would work. I will explain lobotomies in a moment. But I did want to tell you, though, that the thing about bloodletting, and of course, leeches are mixed up in that thing, too, is, you know, back to ancient Greece and Rome, physicians basically thought the human body was filled with four basic humors. Can you name those humors? Yeah. I'll save you the effort, even though you know them because you're not feeling well. Yellow bile, black bile, phlegm, and blood. And the belief among the physicians was that all four of those had to be in balance. None of them are that funny, by the way. Yeah, this is, a, this is definitely a different kind of humor. There's okay. a word that's changed meaning quite a bit over the years. Fortunately, the medical science has changed uh, just as rapidly. So the yeah. belief was when you weren't feeling well, because your four humors were not in proper balance, they basically diagnosed you as having an overabundance of blood. So they'd cut a vein, they'd cut a hole, they'd bleed you. Yeah. And that was supposed to. And isn't that, isn't that how you get the colors on the barber pole, Kurt? Well, so exactly right. So the barber pole is red and white because the barbers were the surgeons back then. Yeah. And they would put from when they would do the bloodletting, they would put rags soaked in blood around to say that they're open for business, hence the red and white pole. Yeah. So the red was for blood, the white was for bandages. And then the little cap on top was the bowl that you bled into. But I learned something about leeches, which is part of this whole bloodletting family. You know, we think of leeches and you put them on your arms or your legs or your torso, but they were actually used much more invasively than I ever realized. In fact, when bloodletting was at its peak in the 1800s, the French went through 40 million leeches a year. And that's because they would put them on particularly sensitive parts of the body. They would even put them on silk thread and lower them down your throat and then reel it in to suck your blood from the inside. But perhaps the most horrible and slightly humorous, but did I mention horrible use of leeches was that the British gentry had their wives leached every two weeks in a particularly sensitive part of the female body. Why? It was thought to prevent hysteria and other forms of female excitement, Kurt. Well, they also did bloodletting on women because they thought that the womb was a separate part of the body. And they had this thing called the wandering womb. And they thought that you had to take care and bleed things out so the womb could go back to its proper place. I just want to Get back to ancient skulls for a second. Okay, sure. I found this, John. It's called the Babylonian skull cure. Sound good? Yeah, it sounds kind of exotic. Exotic is right because it's odd. And it was once upon a time, one of its many uses, and I had this for many things, but was if you ground your teeth. Because if you ground your teeth back then, they thought that maybe it was a ghost of a deceased family member was trying to get in touch with you as you slept. So the cure was to sleep by a human skull for a week. Now, here's where it gets a little bizarre. 
not only did you have to sleep next to a human skull for a week, John, but you were supposed to kiss and lick the skull seven times a night. The Babylonian skull cure, ladies and gentlemen, I give you that. Did you have to lick it in any particular place or way? Did you have to like take your tongue and go around the eye socket several times and then do counterclockwise? That's something else, John. Oh. Now, do you think that all these cures that you're talking about and I've talked about, do you think it's basically just the man getting back at the man? So is it people trying to get back at aristocracy? I know what we'll do. We'll take leeches and put them on his balls. I know what we'll do. We'll drill a hole in the side of his head. Or do you really think they were actually working to do things right? Well, I'm going to assume the latter because otherwise it's a conspiracy that would involve far too much coordination. However, it does show you how far medical science has come. And it also raises questions about the things we do today that will be looked back That's what I was by thinking. the future going, they did what? I mean, what's the modern right. equivalent of leeches? It's easy to dismiss some of these things as this is all stuff done hundreds of years ago or even thousands of years ago. But if you look at something like Fenfen, which was that miracle weight loss pill back in the, was that about back in the 90s? 1990s. That's not so long ago. So lobotomies were in the 50s. Yeah. So that's another relatively modern medical technique. And while we probably have learned more in the past 70 years than we have learned in human history before that, but the notion of a lobotomy where you basically, you know, drill holes in the patient's skull and take like an ice pick and put it through their eye sockets using hammers and stuff in an effort to deal with patients of, with mental illness, I guess they were trying to sever the connection to the part of the brain. If you didn't have anxiety and paranoia before, you certainly did afterwards. If you feel this way, we're going to stick an ice pick in your eyes. Yeah. And they're going to try to sever the part of the brain that you know controls emotions so that you're basically catatonic. If you're lucky, if all goes well, you're vegetative. If things don't go well, you die. And what's amazing yeah. is this went on for a long time. The guy, Walter Freeman, who popularized this, conducted thousands, like three or four thousand of these things. Yeah. And patients died left and right. Yet it continued. Well, I will tell you, probably (laughs) the funnest cure was one they used to have for the Black Plague. Which was? Well, back then, they thought the, the great medical minds of the day thought you treat like cures like. So they try to find something that's like what they have, and that'll cure it. Well, the Black Plague was, you know, these deadly, smelly, terrible vapors that came in. So the idea was, and I kid you not, farts in a jar. (laughs) (laughs) They told you. I think that could be the title of this episode, Kurt, Farts in a Jar. They tell you to fart in a jar, as many as you can, close it up, put it on your shelves, As soon as the Black Plague makes an appearance in your neighborhood, open it up, sniff like crazy, and like will cure like. Didn't work. No, I don't think that the Black Plague had a lot to do with farts. So Who came up with farts in a jar? I don't know. I just started watching this show that's been recommended to me several times over the last few years, Letterkenny. Have you heard of Letterkenny? No. Letterkenny is a town in somewhere in Canada, and it's a rural town, and it's about the quirkiness of the local townspeople. And I think episode three, the main characters 
you know, are mourning the fact that farts cannot be saved to be enjoyed by friends later. So they start basically the Facebook equivalent of fart book and off you go. And it's, it's very well done, although it is ridiculous. But that's ridiculous. Using it as a cure for the Black Plague is just silly. I need to ask you a question. When you grew up, were you given cornflakes? Well, Kellogg's cornflakes. Oh, if you qualified with Kellogg's, I'm going to go with yes. But before you qualified it, I was thinking cornflakes was some sort of deviant sexual medicine treatment thing. And I didn't want to say yes. But Kellogg's cornflakes? Yeah. I preferred Frosted Flakes, but I'm afraid. Okay, that but you had Kellogg's cornflakes. Do you know why you were given them? Because there was cocaine or heroin or morphine in them, I hope. No, because when Dr. Kellogg invented them as a healthy diet, one of the main purposes for doing so was to discourage masturbation. Masturbation Uh, being a sin back then. And they thought a healthy diet would reduce someone's desire to masturbate. Men, men, male masturbation. So I can see that's why you ate a lot of those as a kid. Well, just like hangover cures, there's really nothing that can work for that. (laughs) So here's my question for you. Yes. (laughs) Especially since you're not feeling well, this is a particularly important question. Any chance you have a vibrator lying around the house somewhere? No. I'm I'm not that surprised. Maybe a shake weight? Nope. Okay. Remember the shake weights where you did? Yeah. Well, believe it or not, the vibrator was invented by 19th century doctors. Because again, women needed to be treated for hysteria, which was a catch-all for basically anything, you know, anxiety, irritability, insomnia, you name it, it fell under the heading of hysterica. Like uh, trying to be equal? <laughs> like hysteria. And this actually relates to the wandering womb, because that's what hysteria was was tacked back to. So the treatment that genius doctors came up with was the pelvic massage. And a doctor would massage the woman manually until they had a certain release. And that was supposed to help with hysteria. But then to save doctors time, they came up with a steam powered alternative to the manual massage, an electromechanical medical instrument, the vibrator. And that allowed women to sort of take care of their situation at home. And the wandering womb was cured forevermore. Why would you come up with this ruse and then go, you know what? I'll just find a device so I don't have to do it myself. Oh, no. I don't know. So to clarify, you don't have a vibrator at home. I did not, no. All right. John, what? you said something earlier. And there are from the probably 1880s to the 1920s, in that 40-year period, there are innumerable products that contained heroin or metaphetamines, or cocaine, and seen as cure-alls before we realized, and by the way, and mercury and all these other things before we realized how bad they were for us. There was one I came across, which the Pope loved, so did Thomas Edison, and I think I would too at the time. It was called Vin Mariani. So it was a French wine, started in 1863. It was sold as a cure-all to treat whatever you had. The reason for its success? It had cocaine. Six milligrams per every ounce of wine. So no wonder people love this. Oh, I'm not feeling too good. Oh, let me get some of that Van Mariani, please. Get wine and cocaine together. Boom. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, cocaine was obviously a very popular ingredient. 
And I could see why customers were clamoring for more. But you could like you could just go into the store and buy cocaine tablets by the box. Yeah. Yeah. And believe it or not, you could actually buy cocaine, Kurt, in the Sears Roebuck catalog. You want to buy a house and I want to buy some cocaine. You know, heroin was originally a cure for the cough. And I have heard you cough a couple of times today. So you might want to look into some heroin. Now we have other stuff, right, called oxycodone and oxycontin. So we haven't gotten too far ahead, to your point earlier. So I want to just say there was also some bizarre ones. And I found something that was so bizarre, I have to read it to you. This is how they used to treat malaria. Okay. Okay. It was a magical charm recommended by a Roman physician in the third century common era, AD. You ready for this? Patients were told to write abracadabra over and over on a piece of paper with one less letter on each line until the letters formed a triangle with just an A at the bottom. Then they had to tie the paper with flax and wear it around their necks for nine days before tossing it into an east-running stream, not west, east. If that didn't work, they were supposed to rub themselves with lion fat. Are you kidding me? Now, how badly do you wish now that you knew this stuff when you were doing rush at your fraternity? (laughs) Okay, here's what you got to do. Find an east-running stream. And then, right, ridiculous. And then there was like the whole snake oil thing. So we think of snake oil salesmen as, you know, someone who's basically pulling one over on you, you know, committing fraud. But that was actually a medicinal thing. It was like the oil from Chinese water snakes. And it was thought to come from China to the US in the 1800s, when a lot of Chinese workers were working on the railroad, laying down the railroad track. But then in the classic American spirit, some guy took it, made up whatever he made up as his elixir and went around the country as a barker and sold all sorts of bottles of useless snake oil. And it wasn't really snake oil. And that's how we get the you're a snake oil salesman to this day, correct? Yes. In fact, he introduced it at the World's Fair, Chicago World's Fair in the late 1800s. And he basically cut open a rattlesnake and squeezed out what he squeezed out. But as you pointed out, there was no snake oil in the snake oil. So you're telling me in the same World's Fair where we gave the world the Ferris wheel, we also gave them snake oil. And is that why it's called Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Because that took place in Chicago, too. And that's also where that book, Devil in the White City, took place around that World's Fair, which is an unbelievable book about the country's first mass murderer, serial killer. Not the cornflakes killer. All right. Well, listen, I think we could do a whole episode on incredible products that were launched at various world fairs. I think so, too. I think it's a great idea. So we have to, this has been more of just a way for us to allow our listeners to hear about some crazy, wacky quack. I wonder why doctors called a quack would come up with some of this stuff. Because they look like a duck? No, I wonder why. But anyway, I found one here that I just want to talk to you about. It was to cure rabies. And rabies was a huge problem for hundreds and hundreds of years. Well, This comes from ancient Rome. Pliny the Elder actually came up with this, the guy who was the historiographer of uh, Rome. First, you cut open the wound where the rabies is, and you cover it with raw veal. Then you tell them to eat a diet of lime and hog's fat. And then they had to drink a concoction of wine plus boiled badger dung. 
I mean, people are just making this shit up. Literally. But dung was very popular, very yeah. popular. All sorts of animal dung was thought to be some kind of elixir for who knows what. I told you when I was eight years old and I was in the country of Nepal back in 1973, our guide showed us the cow dung, which was seen as the medicinal salve that they would put on anything, wound, all kinds of wounds. Anyway. So you said salve, salve. Yeah. And that is in part the answer to your previous unanswered question about why are doctors called quacks or why are basically bad doctors or fake doctors called quacks? Please enlighten me. This is great. Because the term actually originates from the Dutch word quacksalver, and it was a seller of all sorts of dubious medical cures. So if you were a quacksalver, you were a purveyor of questionable medical stuff, and you became a quack for short. I hate leaving out the salve because that was your reference, but is a quack salver, Kurt? I love that. So it makes me think, John, what are we doing now that in the future they too will laugh and say, those idiots actually did that? They actually ate asparagus just to smell their urine? There are plenty of excellent medical treatments today, and we're lucky to have them. And I think our batting average is a whole lot, has to be a whole lot better than the stuff we just talked about. Kurt and I will be back next week with a brand new episode of Smart Dribble. Kurt will feel better, I hope, next week. Until then, we hope your life is filled with Smart Dribble. Stay healthy and stay out of the doctor's office. Bye, everybody. Ciao. 